Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human podcast listeners. Greetings to everyone, especially those who clicked on our Google AdWords. Uh, I don't know exactly what you searched for to get to us, but I'm glad you clicked on it. I, I actually do know exactly what people search for. Do you, do you want to hear a brief rundown of the search terms that led people to our podcast this week? Only if they're PG-13. Okay, well, most of them are. So uh, a few of them are obvious. There's podcasts, podcasts. Then there's Dave and Chuck, the Freak Live podcast. Mm. Best funny podcast for road trip. Okay. Sex for Nugent Podcast 2018. I don't know what that is. What but the, the fuck? <laughs> the best one is, but why a podcast? Are there underground cities? <laughs> I don't. I don't have an answer to that question. But apparently, Google AdWords thought our podcast did and served up our ad when someone searched for that. So perfect. There's our, there's our weekly. Our... Yeah, that's the weekly AdWords rundown. Perfect. And in case this is the first time, in case you actually found this podcast through a click on AdWords, uh, let me sum this up for you. Me and Ben are a pair of automotive journalists, and we like to talk a lot about cars and new car things in the industry. Uh, ben, you have a couple of cars to talk about, and I want to hit you with some hot takes with the news later. So why don't you take it away and tell me what the most interesting thing you drove this past week was? Well, what's, 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 I just actually stepped off a plane an hour ago coming back from British Columbia where I drove the new 2018 Mazda 6. Whoa, okay. So 2018 Mazda 6, this is a midsize sedan that does battle with the likes of the Toyota Camry and the Honda Accord. So what do they have to show to to that party well you know the thing for 2018 is it's a refresh for the car it gets a bunch of you know styling changes you have some new interior features you have some new safety stuff but the really big important message that mazda wants to send out with this car is you can get it with a turbo now Ooh, a turbo well that's See, that's really interesting. That's got to be, what, the second turbo that Mazda has offered um, in its modern lineup? I mean, the only one you can get is in the CX-9, right? Well, you know, it's – so let's just kind of backtrack a bit. So this version of, this, okay. of the Mazda 6, it came out in, what, 2014, 2015? Mm -hmm. It was a very good-looking sedan. It had great handling for its Still class. Still is a good-looking sedan. It is, and it actually looks a bit better with the, the refresh that they've done. But um, I'm just trying to talk about what, what it represented when it first came out. So it was good-looking. Uh, it handled better than your average Camry or Accord at the time, or Ford Fusion, although it was pretty close with the Fusion. But, um, what? It, no, you're crazy. No, I, I like the Fusion, and I know that you absolutely hate the Fusion, Sammy. I mean, no, the Fusion is huge. It's ginormous. It's tall for a, for a mid-sized sedan. The, the Mazda... Six was nice and low and sleek and it was nice and, and the steering was off, was fantastic. But there there was a problem with the Mazda Six, Sammy. Do you remember what that problem was? Mm-hmm. Well, are you gonna tell me what it was? You're gonna make me guess. It was slow. It was well, not so much that it was slow, but that you couldn't make it any faster. It just came with one engine, just one four-cylinder engine, and it gave you just under 190 horsepower and about the same amount of torque, which that, is that's totally that, fine. It's totally fine, but it sucks when you've got automakers like Toyota and at the time Honda and even Subaru introducing six-cylinder cars, and Mazda had was selling the the top of the range um, Mazda six for essentially the same money as exactly. A car, that's right? a that's a big image problem, especially you know when your neighbor comes home with a shiny Camry and they've got a hundred more horsepower than you do, and they paid the same amount of money or roughly the same amount. So that continued on for a long time. Not only did Mazda not introduce a V6 for this car, but when the turbo era happened, which is I guess the last three or four years, right after the Mazda six was redesigned. Everybody decided to get rid of their V6s and go turbo. For the most part, I mean, Camry's still holding <laughs> on to a V6, but um, 
Mazda didn't do anything there either. So this new engine, like you said, CX-9 has a turbo. The SUV, mm-hmm. arguably the flagship of the Mazda lineup, definitely their go-to prestige vehicle. And they, what they've done is they've lifted that motor, the almost identical to the motor in the SUV, and they put it in the Mazda 6. So Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of things I need to break down here. First of all, I like calling this the turbo era because when we play Age of Empires Automotive Edition and you go from the naturally aspirated era to the turbocharged era, I'm looking forward to that. And then the future is electrified and, and fuel cell and then And then there's a super brief right? hydrogen era. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's terrible because you can't get any. <laughs> you have to drive 45 miles to fill up. Anyway, so um, so wait. What is it like to put a truck engine in a in a well, or a crossover hey, engine? Slow down in there, a... Speedy. It's not a truck <laughs> engine. I mean, it's not an LS2. Come on, don't get ahead okay. of yourself. All right. So what's it like to put an engine that's cut, that was that we're familiar with in a CX9, a crossover that even does towing duty, um, in a car like the Mazda 6? So it's it's a good thing, and I'll tell you why it's a good thing. First of Please all, the do. CX the CX9 is heavy. It's a big heavy vehicle. I'm not saying it's heavy as in it's it's overly heavy for its class, what but any full size SUV or mid size three row, whatever you want to call the CX9, is gonna weigh quite a bit. Even if it has Skyactiv lightweighting technology? Even if it has that baked into its DNA, Sammy. But fortunately, <laughs> the engine that it comes with, that that two and a half liter turbo, it works great in the car. It it uh it's actually quite i wouldn't call it peppy but it's it it does the job even when you've got a full load of passengers so subtract a whole bunch of weight and you've got the mazda 6 with the same motor and that's 250 horsepower and 310 pound feet of torque so okay how does this feel in 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 total i mean acceleration i mean everything i can imagine everything across the board has improved over the regular mazda 6 but like what does it feel to you you know you've driven a lot of the mid-size sedans in this segment even like the two liter uh turbocharged honda uh, I've driven. I thought it was a fantastic engine, and that's got an engine that's paired, that's shared with the Civic Type R. That's a hot hatch, man. Not just any hot hatch. That's like the hot hatch. It's not shared with a with the with the pilot. You know what I mean? Well, you know, <laughs> like you, I crave a Mazda Speed Three that has this two and a half liter engine in it, so oh, we yeah. can have you know, some. Now yeah, you're hot, talking my language. Some hot hot hatch competition there, but um, inside the Mazda Six. It's it's a huge improvement because not and not in the way that I mean when you step down on the gas in the car with the with the turbo car it doesn't snap your head back you're not going to be leaving rubber what you are going to experience is the kind of linear surge of acceleration that you simply don't get with the regular engine the naturally aspirated two and a half liter engine uh, and I, I was driving in BC in the in Kelowna which is in the the Okanagan Valley mm. so there, it's it's pretty hilly uh, you and you those go, guys they have the best roads too though like curvy roads if i remember correctly yeah so the the there are a few big differences i noticed when driving the turbo versus the regular car and i still like the regular car but mm-hmm. you know when you're going uphill in the regular car it, both of them come with a, a six-speed automatic transmission so in the states you can still get the manual if you want on the base car uh you can't get it with the turbo and in canada you can't get the manual anymore at all it's dead oh, it's no. gone and, and it's interesting why if, if, if anyone is wants to nerd out on the reason it's because more people in Canada select manual transmissions, but the volume of the car is very low. Whereas in the States, the volume is much higher. And even though fewer people select manuals, it makes more business sense to still sell it there. So that's that, weird yeah. accounting logic for you from the, the automotive industry. It does make sense. It's sad for Canadians, but I mean, Americans, you can still shift it yourself in the Mazda 6. I think what well, there's only one other midsize sedan that allows you to do that, and that's the Honda Accord that we were just talking about. 
But you can do it in like a whole range of Honda Accords, not just the base model. Yeah, that's very true. But uh, getting back to the turbo versus the yep. regular. So the, the naturally aspirated four on a hill, and there's a lot of hills in the Okanagan Valley, mm-hmm. it, it would tend to peg itself at 4,000 RPM going up the hill, and you hear it. Like, inside the car, it's like, you can hear the engine working. That's mm-hmm. how the transmission just would keep it there. In the turbo, the torque comes on at 2,000 RPM, all 310 pound-feet of it, and the, the torque curve is relatively flat. So the engine's really not working all that hard when you're cruising around. And when you want to pass on the highway, instead of jumping another 1,000 RPM or whatever uh, and, and getting to that peak power, because I believe in the tur- in the non-turbo car, it's at 4,500 or 4,000, right around there. That's probably why it was pegged. Um, the turbo just – it surges forward. It's a, it's a very – not a gentle build, but it's a confident build in power. You, you don't really notice it happening. It feels like suddenly you're going the speed you wanted to go. So it's nice and smooth. And I really appreciated that about the car because, as I said earlier, this is a car that's one of the best handlers in this in the segment, and it's never had the engine to go with that handling. Okay, this is really important um, because Mazda has had a few cars with uh, two engine options uh, recently. They had the Mazda 3. They used to have the CX-5 with two engine options. Um, it doesn't seem... It doesn't seem like it happens very often. So I want—I was wondering if you know what the trim lock would be like. Is that too boring of a question? If, am I able to pick a, a fully loaded 2.5 liter non-turbo still? Or do no. I have to get a fully no. loaded 2.5 turbo? Regardless of which country you're in, if you want the full load. And that's another new thing for the Mazda 6 for 2018. They have this thing called signature trim. Okay. And that steps in. It used to be, I think, Grand Touring something. Uh, it was mm-hmm. like a, um, a an extension of the Grand Touring trim that they had. But uh, in the States, in Canada, I, c- I can't remember what it was called. There's GSL. GT, and, I think. And there's I think GT, it, yeah. So, Sport, GS, and, and GT, I think. So in Canada, GSL, you can choose between the turbo or the non-turbo. Mm-hmm. And then everything above that is turbo by default in the states the sport is non-turbo and then the next step up from that is non-turbo and then the next three which is grand touring whatever the other grand touring is and then signature is all turbo so for canadians you can only get the you you can get the 2.5 turbo in like anything is that what i just heard no gsl oh just the two just the the top two trim levels no, so GSL, which is okay. The trim walks are not interesting. Like, yeah. We're gonna move on. It okay. doesn't matter. So I can get an affordable 2.5 turbo. Is what I'm asking. You can get an affordable 2.5 turbo regardless of which side of the border you're on. Okay, cool. And uh, in in fact, so the Mazda 6 in the states it starts at 23,000, which is like really, really affordable. That's a good price for a midsize sedan. That is a good price, and especially a good price for a car that looks this good, no matter what trim level you get it. Um, I want to bring up the transmission. I found that the first when they first re- debuted the uh, the Mazda 6, the transmission was a little. Um, it was very comfortable being at very low RPMs. It wanted to get into the highest gear ASAP. And it changed gears uh, quickly to get to going up to speed, and then would drop them immediately. Would just up the, would change gears immediately. Um, I was wondering that now that it has the turbocharged engine, is it still as um, as proactive in getting to that high gear? Or... I honestly I didn't notice that on either of the, either drivetrain. I did, okay. So they might have reprogrammed the the six speed to take care of that problem. If maybe people were complaining about it. Okay. Uh, with the turbo, the transmission was fairly transparent. With the mm-hmm. with the other four, you you notice the shifts because, like I said, the dynamic range of where the RPMs are it, it varies a lot more. Like with the flat torque curve in the turbo, you, you don't really have to rev it high to get to get where you're going. But in the other one, you, you definitely have to rev it high. 
Okay, cool. Now I want to talk about the interior of this car because I think I think Mazda has one of the best interior design, well, design team in general, just the interior and exterior design. And some of the Mazda sixes, maybe any of the Mazdas that I've driven recently, have a beautiful two-tone leather interior. They have some really nice accents on the on the interior. Uh, and I was wondering what's what's the case with the new Mazda six. Well, it's it's not all that different from the previous car, but the six. So they not want a bad to- thing. No, but they want to push the signature as a as a premium option. And okay. in the states, uh, again, it starts at just under thirty five thousand, which is pretty decent. And if you look at like say the Camry, you can pay more than that for a Camry if you want to. So um, it's they're well priced for what they're offering. I don't see this car pushing up against say Acura or Infiniti, which were some of the brands that that Mazda was mentioning when they were presenting the vehicle to us at the at the drive event. It's it's nice inside, but I think near luxury would be a stretch. You, you can get the signature comes with Napa leather. You get wood, uh, some trim on the on the dash. You get some ultra suede on the dash. But I mean, you compare it to the the more affordable versions of the car, and the more affordable versions of the car don't feel all that different in terms of the materials that are used. They feel good. Mm-hmm. The signature feels good, but I, I never really felt like I was in a luxury car. But one thing I really okay. did like about the signature is. I've, I've kind of had an issue in the past with Mazda's dash design. I found it to be somewhat plain, especially the vehicles like the three that use the uh, the grayscale LCD screens for mm-hmm. showing you, you know, various trip information. Fuel yeah, the gauge, in the gauge cluster there, right? In the gauge cluster, yeah. yeah it's 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 plain, and, and it's, it's very gray and white and black. Uh, in a segment or just, I guess, in an industry that's really moving towards LCDs that look really cool and you can put mm-hmm. different stuff on it. So for the for the signature, they've kind of – they've addressed that, I don't know, maybe halfway or three-quarters of the way because they have this new cool speedometer that it only highlights – the it gives you like a spotlight around the area where the needle is. So like let's cool. say you're doing – yeah, you're doing 70 miles an hour. It'll show you 80. It'll show you 60. And the rest is kind of dark, a little blacked out. And the way they present information on the dash in the signatures is much nicer. And you also get a good heads-up display, which is, again, something Mazda hasn't always been good at. The previous cars or previous models, I'm not sure if the Mazda 6 had this, but I know the 3 did. And some of the SUVs had that pop-up screen mm-hmm. that was on the – and that is that was terrible. It was just – it forced you to look down instead of straight ahead at the road. Yeah, it, it was like placed right on basically where the where the, where the base of the hood was, and it wasn't really high enough for a head-up display. No, it was – and the other thing is – and this is particular to me, but I'm sure other people might also do this. I tend to sit towards the center line of a car when I'm driving, mm-hmm. and it would create an angle where I couldn't see anything on that little pop-up screen at all because my I, my body was maybe three or four inches to the right and on a head-up display that projects out over the hood like most do you can move it around there's a Mm -hmm. there's usually controls that let you move it side to side up and down and that took care of that problem but with the little pop-up screen you couldn't do that and on the new car the new mazda 6 that's no longer an issue and it's way better in my opinion it seems like a a really well-rounded refresh and upgrade from the uh, outgoing model is there anything that you think they didn't address properly um with this with this vehicle I am not a fan of their infotainment system. Okay, I think I understand why. It's a really um, there's it's it, it grabs your attention for one piece of information at a time. So it feels difficult to go from navigation to music or to do something else while you're driving, right? Yeah, it's it's not clear how to navigate through it. There's a you, I believe it's a touchscreen and it has a dial, but the way the menus are set up. It's not linear. You have to jump around and kind of guess where you're going. 
I guess maybe you could get used to it, but when you look at how smooth some of the competition is, mm-hmm. then you kind of have to ask why. Um, but I, I don't really want to ding the Mazda 6 for this because it's a Mazda-wide thing. It's They haven't... Yeah. I, I didn't expect them to give the 6 a brand new infotainment system, so that's not really not really an issue for me. And easily, when it came to midsize sedans, I would always recommend the Mazda 6 for the enthusiast, somebody who wants a car that is enjoyable to drive in every situation um, and feels like they're driving something unique and different and not just an appliance like uh, something from Toyota or Honda. What do you think about the Mazda 6? Does it still retain that kind of um, personality? Yes and no. The personality is still there. They made some suspension changes, nothing dramatic. And make it oh, softer, stiffer, more re- well, reactive? Just, any, just to kind any... of make it more of a Mazda, I guess, to give it okay. more of that personality. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the rest of the market has kind of caught up in a lot of ways oh, to, absolutely. to Mazda's that dynamics. TNG, yeah, the Toyota TNGA, that's a very stiff vehicle, really responsive, and it drives really well. And same with the Honda. Man, the, that thing can be a real hoot to drive. Wait, what's the Toyota TNGA? What's that's TNGA? A, sorry, their next generation architecture, their platform. Whoa, what? what are, are, are you sponsored by Toyota, Sam? No, We're sorry. Using these acronyms. I've never heard them before, and I feel like I'm swimming in a world of confusion. Well, my mistake, man. Um, <laughs> I meant to say that the Camry, as well as a lot of the new Toyotas that have been driving much better than Toyota's ever been driving in the, in the past, um, use this new architecture that is really buttoned down, solid, and stiff. And that's why many of their cars have improved their handling dynamics. Um, it's interesting to see how Mazda fares um, against these these like you know freshly done competition freshly done competition well i think it's as good as i just don't think it's as much of a standout as it was i mean it is pleasurable to drive and there is more communication than you would get in say a cambria or an accord but mm-hmm. it's a matter of degree now it's not it's not they're not walking away with anything so uh, that differentiation is is not quite as severe i would say can you talk to me about the steering feel in the Mazda? Now, if I remember correctly, Mazda had a very heavy steering feel. And personally, I loved it. I thought it was great. But I know a lot of people wanted maybe a bit more variability between the, the steering ratio. And they wanted to feel a car that was light and low speeds and heavier at high speeds. What do you think? Uh, any any notes from, from your test drive? No, I can. the steering didn't stand out to me in any particular way, which I guess is good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's something I forgot to mention about the, the four-cylinder base engine, the, the naturally aspirated one. Mm-hmm. It has cylinder deactivation now. Cylinder deactivation or engine yeah. shutoff? No, cylinder deactivation. As on in a like four-cylinder? Yeah. It's the, first, it's the first one ever in North America. When does it trigger and what is that like? Well, it, I, I, so I didn't notice it triggering at all, which would seem to be the best case scenario for this type of technology. Well, did you know it was working? I, there's no indicator from what I can tell. <laughs> and I was watching the dash while my partner was driving to see if I could detect whether it was coming on or not. But uh, I, maybe the terrain we were on was just too varied for it to get any kind of steady state cruising going. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the, it's it's something new for them. Um, and the, the car gets about three miles per gallon city and maybe four or four miles per gallon highway better than the turbo so that might have something to do with it as well but cool. i mean four cylinder deactivation that's a that's new territory I mean, so we're going to be just one cylinder <laughs> cruising around all the time and you can pull in the trio of other cylinders when you need to pass someone or drag race at the stoplight well we mentioned that because i think back in, at the detroit auto show chevrolet said that their v8 their their upcoming v8 will have up to seven cylinder deactivation. Yeah, I believe I remember them them saying that. I'm actually looking up this uh, cylinder deactivation technology now. Um, it's it apparently 
it, it drops down to two cylinders. Mm-hmm. And they use a fulcrum inside the automatic transmission that is able to absorb the vibration that happens when that occurs. So it's kind of a it's it, I mean every this is exactly an 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 illustration of every little bit counts right when you're trying right. to chase fuel economy. And that's always been Mazda's kind of uh, approach to to its cars and reducing fuel economy. We're talking about a car that a car company that has shied away from making hybrids or electric vehicles, and they well, they have the E Loop, the I E Loop, right? Yeah, it's that's not a full hybrid uh, system. I think that's more of a capacitor, uh, like a like a supercapacitor or something. Yeah, it's, like it's that, more right? like hybrid-ish, right? Like, yeah. But uh, there's there's one more thing before we wrap up Mazda Six talk that I wanted to mention. Hit me with and it. And that's that's the fact that so do you want to guess how many Camrys were sold last year? Uh, three hundred thousand. Three hundred and eighty-seven thousand. Oh my god! Almost four hundred thousand. <laughs> Jeez. Yes. And uh, do you want to take a crack at Mazda Six? Uh, this is a, this is, I don't want to say anything rude here. Uh, 80,000. 33. Shoot. And the best year for this redesign was in 2015 and they sold 57. So Whoa, it, sorry. Yeah. Five, seven, 57,000. Compared to a must, I mean, a Toyota making, selling 380,000. Now I'm not. Mazda is not aiming for Toyota's sales numbers. They're That's... not that size of a company. That's not their goal. But I do want to bring up another very similar car uh, with a similar small car philosophy, just small car company philosophy, and that's the Subaru Legacy. Mm-hmm. Last year, the Subaru Legacy sold 49,000. And 65,000 was the best it ever did, and that was just the year before for this generation of car. So – the problem with the Mazda 6 is that it's a good car that few people are buying. Mm-hmm. And I think that the turbo is going to change that because the upgrade path will make more sense. Um, I know in Canada, the top tier trim levels are already 50% of sales if you combine them together. Okay. So they're gonna, they're, they should be able to improve on that. They should be able to have a better, more profitable mix. But again, it's... In in the U.S., the midsize sedan segment still makes sense to invest in because people are still – even though pe- fewer people are buying four-door cars and more mm-hmm. people are buying SUVs, there's still a, like 25 million sales a year that like we talked about with Chevrolet a couple yeah. of weeks ago. 25 million are compact and midsize together. So Mazda wants a bigger piece of that. I think this is a car that can help them do it. And I'm just hopeful that there's still enough interest in the 6, given that it's not a complete redesign, to get people back in that showroom and trying out the turbo. Okay, so let's talk about – let's talk about – I mean, at least let's talk about this small market version of – or this this tiny corner of of the midsize sedan uh, segment. Let's talk about the Legacy and the Mazda 6. Which one would you take? Well, the Legacy has the big all-wheel drive I mean, it has um, a killer advantage. app. That's that, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it has so really you have to, but it. it doesn't drive as nice as the Mazda 6 if you're pushing them hard. Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself, how many people in the midsize sedan segment are pushing their cars hard? Probably like one percent. It's it's not really an enthusiast segment. So I think that could explain part of. The, well, I mean, aside from the single engine option, that could also explain the disparity in sales between these two companies, mm-hmm. where you have people who have been brainwashed. Like brainwashed is too too harsh of a word. Marketing has convinced a lot of people they need all-wheel drive in the winter. They pretty much brainwashed them, I'd say. Yeah, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think you can do just as fine in a front-wheel drive car. But it hurts sales. There's no question. You've seen it in the luxury segment where every company's moved to all-wheel drive so they can, you know, trap those sales. Okay. And uh, Mazda, 
we tried to ask them if there was an all-wheel drive 6 coming and there was no response uh even though this is the same drivetrain from the cx9 so theoretically if there's room under there they can make it happen one admission of future product they did say is that their diesel engine has been carb approved Woohoo! Uh, yes carb approved with conditions so they're still working through it, but that's kind of, I mean, we've been waiting for this Mazda diesel for, I don't know how many years. <laughs> so if they deliver that diesel, that would be their killer app. That would be the thing that makes them stand out in the segment. Yeah, that, in that some could way. help. If it goes in the six, I mean, who knows? It might just go in, in an SUV. In a, it's tough yeah. to say. So that's an interesting point which worth bringing. I always think that it's important that every car has this one thing that makes it special and different than the rest, something that's marketable, tangible, easy to, to describe. For the Mazda 6, it's always been the driving feel. Um, and for other cars, you've got something else. The Subaru has um, all-wheel drive. The Toyota has this epic reliability. Um, the Honda also has pretty good reliability, but also has some really cool uh, turbocharged engines that work wonderfully. Um, what else can we, What else can you bring up? Well, I mean, the Ford Fusion has good handling and a lot of technology. And a V6, the, a turbo V6 option. Yeah, that that that's Fusion Sport is a very serious machine. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, so it's it will it'll be interesting to see if people respond. Absolutely. Um, well, you had you had another car that you test drove um, as well. Do you mind uh, bringing this up to to the listeners of the podcast? Let's hear this. Well, that would be the the Nissan Armada, the 2018 Nissan Armada, which is a ginormous three-row SUV. And I, when I say ginormous, I don't mean like, yeah, it's big. I mean like, this is suburban big. It's it's three three rows of massive metal. And it's bigger than ever before because they brought it over on the same, very similar platform to the Infiniti QX80, mm -hmm. which was itself derived from the Nissan Patrol, which is not sold in North America. But it's got like, it's a very expressive design. It's It's got all sorts of curves and swoops and, and abutments. And you really notice the vehicle when you step out to it. I mean, it looks very similar to the QX80, yeah. which is one of the most distinctive SUV designs out there. So I've got to, I've got to ask you straight up. We've got uh, like in, in you had the Cadillac. I, get, I remember you having a Cadillac Escalade recently. Uh, now you've got this Nissan Armada. I think you told me that you've got a Lincoln coming up in the near future. Is there something going on? What's with all this, these large SUVs? Large SUVs are, aren't the future, are they? I'm compensating for a lot of things. And <laughs> that's. I didn't want to get into it on the podcast, <laughs> but you've tipped, you've tipped my hand, and, and there it is. Okay, so let's um, let's talk about the the Armada. You mentioned that it's based on something called the Patrol, which is a very cool, capable vehicle uh, uh, in other markets. And the Armada, I've always had an issue with the Armada because it comes without some of the really key features of the um, that the Patrol used to have. Well, past Armadas didn't have anything to do with the Patrol. Past Armadas were based on the pickup truck platform, right? That they the were the Titan. So this new Armada, I don't know how long you've had this issue. But... Well, in, in 2017, <laughs> sorry, last right. year. Um, and so the Patrol, I'll, I'll, I'll just be quick with it. The Patrol has these front and rear locking differentials and a disconnecting uh, sway bar system as well as a hydraulic body mount setup, um, which made it a really rugged off-roading like it was like a it was like a Land Cruiser. It was capable. Yeah, it's, it's the Nissan. It's the Nissan direct competitor to the Land Cruiser in other markets. And so when it comes to North America, both as the the Armada and the QX80, it doesn't feature these these really standout features. I think the QX80 gets the body mounts. Yes, yeah, sorry, they do, but not. That's only one part of those those 
the, the well that's because which, precisely zero people are going to be off-roading their qx80 that's okay all right um <laughs> you've got a point there ben and the other point is and i made this to you i made this point to you in the past in conversation uh outside of the podcast sphere but Large, full-size, three-row SUVs are not great options for off-road in North America. And I think where the patrol is used in other regions, we're talking about, um, you talked about driving it uh, on dunes in the Middle East. Oh my God, it was so wicked. It was yeah. wicked, Ben. But that's, I mean, the dune is the, the definition of wide open space, exactly. tons of room to just play around. In, in America and Canada, when you go off-road, usually it's, I mean, there are dunes, there's dune parks, you can go to Utah and you can go to, there's Michigan, all sorts of places like that. But most people, when they think off-road, they think a trail of some kind. Yeah, like a and forest trail, right? Yeah, a forest trail or a mountain trail or a trail out on the plains kind of deal. And a, a really big, long wheelbase SUV, it's just not great for that because you can't turn. And uh, also, the width of the vehicle becomes an issue. If the trail narrows, all of a sudden you scratch the hell out of your vehicle just from branches and rocks and stuff. So mm -hmm. that's why the Wrangler is so popular in, in, in the States and Canada, because it's a narrow wheelbase, relatively – sorry, short wheelbase, relatively narrow platform, and you can put it anywhere. Okay. Um, so what, that's, my, that's my reasoning for why Nissan doesn't bring the Armada – with all of those fancy patrol gadgets here. Okay. But they do bring a lot of other cool stuff that I think is actually useful for <laughs> people who are buying this kind of thing. Because most people, I think, who buy something like the the Armada, and not a lot of people do buy these trucks. I'm not saying, I'm not singling out the Armada, but I'm saying, you know, large three-row SUVs, they don't like have the, the same suburban, shine they used to. Like the, yeah. the, what else is it? Suburban. Um, Tahoe and the Yukon and all that stuff. The Land Cruiser in, in, in the U.S. I don't know what the equivalent to oh, a Land Cruiser is in Canada. The Land Cruiser is sold in Canada. It is. Yeah, just not officially. They sell about a hundred a year. You have to ask for it. Secret. You have to. Yeah, yeah. This is a handshake, and like hey. they take you out into the desert and blindfold you, and if you can find your way back to the dealership, you get a Land Cruiser. And what if but, you can't? Uh, it, no one knows. No oh. one's ever talked to those people ever again. Oh right, we should, we'll, we'll go and figure that out. Hey, pour one out, those, pour one out for the people who don't make it back, Sammy. Ben, you, you guys got any of those uh, secret Land Cruisers lying around? No, don't ask if you can't handle the if you can't handle the cost. You don't want to play that game. <laughs> but uh, anyway, most people, <laughs> most people who buy these big trucks, they tow with them, right? Or they they have a big family, or they think they need the room. So those, I think, are the three main reasons. And for all of those things, the, the Armada makes a lot of sense. And I really liked a lot about this truck. I, I hadn't driven a new Armada. This is my first time in it. I've driven the QX80, and I, I like the QX80 because it's so extroverted, but also because it has a beautiful interior. A beautiful, I believe, I, I completely agree with you. Gorgeous, simply beautiful. Well-crafted, and like it stands out in every way. Yeah, it's so it's it's head and shoulders above anything else in its class. Mm. Uh, just in terms of detail and materials, I really like it. And until the QX50 came along, I thought it was the best interior period in the Infinity lineup. I think the QX50 is very close in this top trim, just in terms of quality. But when you get inside the Armada, you kind of have some of that, and you kind of don't because you get like really nice seats. Uh, there's tons of stores. There's wood trim, but on the dash, things are just not as exciting. It's it's there's some Nissan parts bin stuff going on there, and you feel like the dials and the buttons and whatnot, they're not as premium as the rest of the truck. So that was kind of where I felt the differentiation between the Armada and the QX80 really made itself known. Okay. But I will say this though. I didn't have any complaints about the rest of the truck, really. Uh, it's it's got a it's it's a 5.6 liter V8, Sammy. Is that right? 
Uh, yeah, it's a big old V8. Remember these and things? They still exist. <laughs> 390 horsepower, 394 pound-feet of torque. It weighs 6,000 pounds, which is <laughs> so much. That's 1,000 pounds more than a Grand Cherokee for comparison. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't feel like it. I mean, it feels like it in a corner, but if you hammer that V8, wow, it really, really responds. And you mean it was... really, really – the fuel economy really takes a nosedive. Well, let me, let me get to that, but um, – it's uh, there aren't a, not every truck is like that. If you if you get a 5.3 liter version of the Suburban, it's not quick. It's it's fine, but you notice the size of the vehicle. In the the Armada, and I had the Platinum trim, which is why I was talking about the super nice interior. Actually, I think I had a Platinum Reserve, which is like 65,000, right around there. It's the the most expensive, nicest version of the Armada you can get. It felt quick. Okay. And uh, not just off the line, but on the highway, too. And I was surprised by that. I never expect these big non-luxury SUVs to feel quick. The only ones that do really are the the, the, the GM that has the 6.2. Mm-hmm. Like a Cadillac and, or, a, or a GMC? Like a yeah, Denali, GMC. I think? You can get the 6.2 in the RST version of the Tahoe and the Suburban now. Oh, okay. oh, actually, sorry, just the, the Tahoe. I think the RST trim in the Suburban is just a appearance package. Whatever. Um, back to the Back to the Armada. But uh, yeah, it it tows a lot too. Uh, I believe I I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I, I believe it's between six thousand and eight thousand pounds, which is pretty good for its class. And uh, it has a seven-speed automatic transmission that that worked great. But I mean, you were hinting at something with this. You want to talk about that fuel economy, Sammy? Yeah. So I believe I can't remember what the what the official fuel economy is. If it changed between last year and this year, but um, I remember it being really bad. Something like thirteen miles per gallon city and 18 miles per gallon highway that is exactly what it's like if you get the four-wheel drive model and i can attest to the fact that that is accurate uh (laughs) i got maybe i think 70 miles 65 miles maybe a little bit more maybe let's say 75 80 miles on half a tank (laughs) driving around town and half a tank was like oh man uh something like 50 not it can't be 15 gallons let me let me math this out from canadian to american but uh, what was, was a okay? Huge... How many liters? So yeah, All fourteen right. gallons of gas got me like seventy-five miles, eighty <laughs> miles. That's really crazy. <laughs> and that was so almost all city. Witness, you can actually witness the fuel gauge going down. Like you can I, watch. I it. thought something was wrong with the gauge <laughs> because I drove it for like an afternoon and then I got in it the next day and I'm like quarter of a tank. What? Because <laughs> I didn't go anywhere. You know, like it, yeah. it wasn't like a road trip where I'd expect that. It was. It was just around town, and, and admittedly, around town, it's going to be the worst thing ever for any 6,000-pound V8 vehicle. But if you look at vehicles like the Denali version of the Tahoe, which I think is probably a pretty good approximation of what the Armada is trying to do with Platinum Reserve, it gets better fuel mileage. Mm-hmm. It has the cylinder deactivation. It has a 10-speed automatic transmission now. Uh, so. And this thing still has a 7 yeah, it still has a well, – it's a good transmission. It's a but very smooth, very smooth transmission. I'm not trying to – I'm not going to downplay the impact that this fuel mileage has, but I don't want to overstate it either because if you're buying this kind of vehicle and spending this kind of money, you know it's not going to be thrifty. Okay. You, you know a big truck with a big engine is not thrifty. Can so you imagine okay. what the fuel economy would be like if you start towing with it? <laughs> but towing, towing fuel economy, though, no, it's – you'd be surprised it's not always different. Okay, sure. Like uh, my my dad's F-150, he has a 5-liter, it's a 2012. And I think there's maybe a 3-mile-per-gallon difference. 
towing a, about 4,000 pounds versus driving empty. So if this so, has a three mile per gallon difference, it would get like, what, 10 miles per gallon? But it might not. But it might Because it's hard to tell because things like gearing really come into play when you start looking at towing fuel mileage. So it's hard to tell how Nissan has geared this for towing purposes. Okay. Anyway, so, yes, go ahead. I, I mean, I, I liked it. It was, I was surprised. You have I a didn't price think tag I like it. Yeah, I, as I said earlier in the podcast, which we are both hosting, it's uh, around $65,000. $65,000. Now, the reason I brought that up is because um, you can get a base QX80 for $65,000. And that well, uses the same engine. It looks gorgeous. You can get a base Armada for $43,000. Yeah, I know, but if you're, if you're going to... If you're going to option up that Armada up to forty-six, platinum, I'm sorry. platinum reserve levels, would would you recommend a um, a QX80 instead? But you can, I mean, I don't remember offhand what kind of gear you're getting with a base QX80 versus a fully loaded platinum reserve. I, I'm assuming there's going to be a differential there. Okay, then let's talk about, like I said, with the with the Mazda Six. Is there something that really makes the Armada stand out um, against its competition? Yeah, well, that acceleration. That's the for thing. sure. That's one of the things. Okay. Uh, and I I found it to be pretty spacious. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't super into the third row seat. I think it's not as not yeah. as much room as you, you're not going to put an adult back there. No. Which is you know after coming out of that, um, what did I drive the Volkswagen um, Atlas? The Atlas uh, having that just a few weeks before with its very uh, roomy rear seat. Mm-hmm. It kind of shows you, I believe the Armada is a body-on-frame design, but it might not be. That's that's a good question. Uh, the design yeah. differential between those two kinds of things for, for interior room. Um, but yeah, if, if you're in a 5.3-liter Suburban versus this thing, you're really going to be like, whoa, I wish I was in an Armada. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I think there might be something else going on for the Armada, and that's because they showed us something... Uh, Nissan USA showed us something called the Mountain Patrol uh, Armada, which is something that they're making in just for one thing. I believe it's the Overland Expo, which is I don't know where exactly when exactly that's happening. What's overlanding? Can you tell me about overlanding? Uh, overlanding is like camping, but on top of your car. So you basically you make this tent that you sleep on, on in a sleeping bag up on top of your car on the roof. Is of your that car. so bears can't eat you? I, I guess so. Everyone knows that bears can't climb cars. They, bears are totally going to eat you if you <laughs> if you sleep on top of your car. And well, bear. You what what thing. kind of fantasy world does someone sleep on top of their car and think they're protected from bears? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Would you camp in any spot that has potential bears? Everywhere has potential no, bears. Never. Never. <laughs> Actually, I have though, <laughs> and it's scary. You want you want to hear something scary about bears? Yeah. What? Okay, so for I don't know why, but a few years ago I was really into reading about bear attacks, and uh, I think it's because I was in Alaska for a while, and and um, every everything I read about Alaska said you cannot learn enough about bear safety before coming to Alaska. <laughs> Seriously, that's like what every guidebook said. But um, so I learned that there's you know there's brown bears like grizzlies and whatnot, and then there's black bears, and when a when a grizzly attacks, it's almost always defensive or to a show of strength or whatever um, that's intended to kind of back you off. So if you play dead when a grizzly attacks and, and show that you're no longer a threat, you'll, you'll probably get very injured, but it's not going to eat you. It's not going to kill you necessarily. It'll hmm. stop and it'll back off once you're no longer a threat. If a black bear attacks you, it's hungry okay. and it's going to eat you. And the reason I mention this is because so many black bear attacks have been them going into tents or going through the side oh, no. of tents and eating people. <laughs> okay. So when well, a black when a when a black bear attacks you, you're supposed to fight for your life. Okay, gotcha. 
Um, what if it's Dark Practical Knight? Practical advice you can use from Unnamed Out of the Podcast. <laughs> yeah, the Unnamed. I can't tell what color, what bear it is when it's nighttime. Well, I would assume that if it comes into your tent, it's it, that's not defensive at all. So you have that would be a black bear. Okay. I mean, so all, you, you, I would just end up fighting all the bears, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's is there any downside to, to fighting all bears? That's what you were born to do. Well, if you fight a grizzly, you're gonna lose. <laughs> so don't fight it. But, I love the idea that I could fight a black bear and win. You, you might. You have a chance. It's your only chance, Sammy, so make it count. <laughs> okay, anyways, Armada Mountain Patrol is lifted. It's got off-road wheels and tires. It's got a roof-mounted tent, some jerry cans, because we both know what how bad the fuel economy is. And when the, <laughs> when the bears regroup with their friends and start chasing you down, you want to get the hell out of there. Uh, Here's a question. Does it have all that trick uh, off-roading gear that you think is so important? Yeah, an exhaust snorkel oh no the oh you mean the the locking diffs and stuff yeah the patrol stuff no nothing none of so that. it's called mountain patrol but it's not actually a patrol ah that's a, that's a shame okay yeah all right i'm just curious i'm looking at pictures of it now and those those if i was a bear i would be i would be attracted by those colors it has like pine trees painted on the side yeah. i think that's confusing for bears because bears climb trees mm. and it could indicate that on the roof there's something delicious yeah which is on top of every tree um, and what, now you're thinking like a bear. Yeah, finally. Um, let's change subjects real quick. Um, while we're on the topic of fuel economy, I wanted to mention two new things that are going on in the industry. One from Ford, one from Chevrolet. We were talking about Chevy's um, Silverado and how it'll have some funky fuel-saving technology. Ford is also going to be debuting a special version of the F-150 with a 3-liter V6 diesel engine. And they just disclosed the fuel economy numbers. It gets 30 mpg in the high, on the highway and 22 mpg in the city for 25 miles per gallon combined. Um, and that's in a two-wheel drive model. So that's very similar to the... Ram. The Ram. The Ram. Which is not it, available right it, now. It, it'll beat the Ram in both situations. Um... Just a little bit, but when you get the four-wheel drive um, F-150, they're pretty much this, they're they're pretty much on par there. Well, we we don't know because the the new generation Ram doesn't come with turbo diesel, That's so we right. don't know we don't know like with weight savings or whatever how they might have reconfigured their fuel economy. Well, so it does it beats the previous generation. That's Ram. right. Um, okay. And in terms of power and torque, the diesel makes. 250 horsepower, which doesn't seem like a lot for a truck, but hey, it's Mazda six. That's Mazda six levels of power <laughs> in a pickup truck, and 440 pound-feet of torque, which is very good. Um, yeah. What do you think? Any any thoughts on this? You're, are I, you excited I, you to drive know, a diesel F-150? Well, I, I'm all for diesel light-duty trucks, mm -hmm. so it's I'm glad someone else is at the party now. I mean, GM is supposed to be coming too, and we'll see what happens. I mean, they already have their four-cylinder Duramax in the Colorado and the Canyon. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I look forward to driving that vehicle. I have an F-150 coming up to drive actually, but it's the 2.7 EcoBoost. So, uh, Which is a wicked engine, really powerful. It is a good engine. A little yeah, it, it, really, it really makes you wonder why you need the three and a half after you drive Absolutely. that. But we'll talk about that in a, in a, in a month or so. Ooh, teaser for I know. a podcast everyone's, a month. Everyone's, everyone's tuning out and, and hunkering down for a month and then tuning back in. <laughs> okay, Google, remind me about the unnamed Oddwood podcast in a month. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all right. There's also another thing talking about fuel economy. Chevrolet, your favorite uh, company with a bow tie logo, um, is is going to make it easier for you to pay for gas, which is something that I guess. Wait, how hard is it to pay for gas I, now? Just so, on a scale of one to ten, how hard is it for you to pay for gas? Uh, ten being the hardest or ten being the easiest? Ooh, ten being the easiest. One. Wait, ten. <laughs> <laughs> man, you're not. Man, I, I hope. Never mind. 
Um, I don't. I just imagine like a phone survey guy calling you and being like, on a scale of one to five, and then you like five, one, four, three. No, oh, I have to hang up. Yeah. All these numbers got me so excited. Okay, so as you, um, as some of our listeners might know, there's this thing called Chevrolet Marketplace. It's this. Um, Wait, who knows that? I didn't even know that existed. Oh, I'm, I'm sure all the Chevrolet, all the Chevrolet um, employees probably know all about it. All right. Um, it's this. In Dash uh, Shopping Center, um, it allows you to buy stuff, and we've talked about this in the past for prepaying for like coffees when you get to when you get to like a Starbucks or something. Yeah, I remember that conversation. It's, and I think you and I both said both said why is why is that a thing? I still have to get well, the car to get. It saves you what thirty seconds maximum. I, I mean, so so what is what is this new so. Does, this is one, it same for the gas? Like yeah, I say, you, you, I want to buy fifty dollars. Yeah. I show up with my Armada. <laughs> no, with your Chevrolet, with your oh yeah, sorry. Well, that's no good. The Armada is the car that needs gas. <laughs> um, so you you basically you confirm how much gas you need to get. It gives you like a little pin code, like a three number pin code that you go to the the, the pump, you enter in these three these three numbers, and then it just enables the the pump for you to pump. It's like a car wash. It. Yeah, I guess if you could buy a car wash on like your phone. Uh, well, you can buy them in advance, though. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. So but here's. So let's compare that to how I currently buy gas. Which is, I yes. stop the car, I get out, I tap my credit card on the pump, and I pump gas. Okay. Well, in in other markets, uh, I think in the U.S., tap is not as well uh, established, especially in, in gas stations, if I remember correctly. Um, so that's one thing that I wanted to bring up that ruins your whole argument. So next. Well, uh, okay. No, not done. Okay, I agree with you. I don't think this is. <laughs> I don't think this is really convenient in any. In, in well, a it, it just feels like one of those technologies that fills a very time-specific niche. Where there's like right now, there's a gap between tap being rolled out universally in the United States and whatever this is, and or the the previous way of paying with cash. Yeah. So I pre-pay Chevrolet's... all the time with my credit card. I just I just pay yeah. at the pump. Chevrolet sees it sees an opportunity they can add this feature easily, I guess, and then it'll it'll be useful for a couple of years and then no one will use it. What I think like, that's that's my interpretation. Come up with this too, like some guy probably was late for work and he's like, oh, I was I was fumbling with my wallet for at the at the pump and that's why I was that's why I was late and uh, they're like, yo, fix, get on that, fix that. And, well, let's uh, talk about let's talk about something else. Distracted driving. Like, am I going to be driving and buying gas at the same time and then I pull up to the pump and and I. It's there. Like, I don't see that as necessarily being a good thing. No, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. This it seems like <laughs> it seems like something that doesn't make any sense, man. I don't know why I don't want to buy anything in my car just yet, especially something that I can get just in. Like, it, it feels like I can pay for gas really quickly. Um, what is something that you do with your car that takes forever that you want the car to do fa- like fast in the car fast? Warm up in the winter. <laughs> You can't. You can't warm up. Well, I guess you can. Like you can actually. Mercedes Benz makes a an auxiliary heating system for the Sprinter vans. Hmm. Um, so if that could be in every car, thank you. I would want that. Uh, what What if you could prepay for your groceries at a or prepay and I don't, and upload? No, I don't your, even like, know what I want though. Like yes, until I get to the store and marketing tells me what I want. And marketing tells you what I want. <laughs> Isn't that how everyone shops? I would like the idea of of uploading my grocery my digital grocery list to my car. Oh my it goodness, what a it. hassle! Well, I mean, I do all of my things on like Google Notes all the time. I'm always writing like or yeah, looking and up. Putting that in your car is somehow like an extra step that's not a huge. I'll, up, I'll upload it somehow. <laughs> 
The cloud, oh, man. man. Everything is up there in the cloud. No, All my I don't data. want the car having access to my Google Cloud. That is sensitive Look, information. If and if does, I lend my car to somebody... Once I get into a car accident, I can tell the Google Cloud to erase my browser history. That's I'm going to say... what. I'm going to say one thing that I think the Chevrolet program is actually good for. Um, sorry, not, I, I don't want to put it down like that. The one, one area where I think it stands out is if you're a parent and you're lending your car to your kid and you want your kid to be able to buy gas and they they can use the system in the car to buy gas and it goes on what I presume is your credit card account. So that would be a great way to let your kids stay mobile without giving them their own credit card that they can also use to buy fireworks or whatever it is they're not supposed to buy. At the gas but, station, uh, you know? Like No, but I mean anywhere. Like it's it's it seems like a cool thing for that if you're the kind of parent who wants to have that level of control and support over your child's gas habits. All right. Well, Ben, are you done talking about this cuz I got another cool thing to talk about? And you know what? We could talk about this all night, but let's I'll seed the floor. Okay, here we go. There's a new Mercedes Maybach concept coming. Oh no. It what do you mean oh no? Mercedes Maybach concepts are gorgeous. They're sweet. They're oh this is not that. Like the is this like the Excelero? <laughs> Uh, no, this is like imagine a giant. So let's talk about the the biggest Mercedes you can get. I think the GLF um, which is the big three row crossover. Now imagine you got rid of the th the third row and made that part a sedan, like a trunk. And that's what you got in, this, in and Maybacked it up. And that's what you've got. Oh no, I'm looking at it now. It's called. Hold on, it's got a. Really Why good did you name. bring this into my life? It's got a really good name. Vision it's... Mercedes Maybach Ultimate Luxury. That's... Ultimate Luxury. Yeah. Oh wow, is Van Damme a spokesperson? Of course he's he so is. totally should be. These okay. Ultimate I don't know luxury. where to start. Okay, I don't first know where of all, to start, it looks like a ginormous sedan. It looks like a Volvo. It first looks of all, huge. Um, Second. Are those like lettuce shredding rims? Hell like yeah. it looks like a salad shooter. Like a turbine. <laughs> no, it's not. It's beyond turbine. It's like turbine slash sixties steel bladed house fan. <laughs> it's really intense. Oh man, and, and and that front end, it's just it's just Volvo with a hint of boring lights. I, I'm sorry, I've never been a fan of Maybach styling, and the brand itself, to me, doesn't really have any heritage. Like. Rolls-Royce, Bentley, or Aston Martin does. So I've had a really hard time understanding its position. And is this a down-market uh, Mercedes Maybach car, or is this an up-market Mercedes? Like, wh where does it fit? I don't know. Uh, it's just a concept, like I said. It's going to the uh, Beijing Auto Show. One thing you will note is that it is all electric. It has an 80-kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery pack, which I think is funny because I think the Tesla Model X already has a 100-kilowatt-hour battery. So, um, 750 horsepower. That's a ton, yes. 200-mile yeah. um, range. Uh, 300, yeah, 300-mile range. If, so you look at the, if you look at the back, the back seat. No, I don't, I don't want to. Don't no, hold me. up. Look at the back seats. There's oh, no, I, I looked at the back of the car. It has a split rear window. Yeah. What's oh, going the on? The split rear window continues on the roof of the car. What? So it has two moonroofs, but like <coughs> like long-wise cut. Uh, cut in I just choked there. because of this car. All right, all right. In the back, there's a T-set. Oh, that's not going to rattle all the time. <laughs> what do you mean with those ginormous? What? How, how big do you think those wheels are? No, but have you noticed, like, in every horror movie or, or disaster movie, someone's drinking tea, like, alone in, like, oh, a, yeah, the, control, the control room of some nuclear power plant, and then the cup starts rattling on the saucer, yeah. and that's how you know things are about to get real? That's kind of like having a tea set in your car. I 100% anticipate this being in the new Jurassic World, because if you remember, the first Jurassic World had all these Mercedes-Benz product placements, <laughs> and I bet you there's going to be some people... 
uh, drinking some tea in the back of their Maybach. And then what I find interesting, when they, when they... what I find interesting too is there's there's a couple of other. I'm looking at. I'm still looking at the interior. There's flowers in the back. Finally. Yeah, so, like, at the, the rear console really extends far back. And the reason I noticed this is because the way the seats are set up, it seems like there's a – is there a huge area behind the seats that you can store stuff in? Is that what that's for? I don't know. It doesn't make, and, this car doesn't make any sense either. I feel like we're on a bad also, podcast where nothing makes sense. And I think there's a tablet encased in leather that's strapped to the door at the back with, yeah, like, these – Yeah, And it's glowing blue. So I, there's a lot going on. I, personally, I'm going to pass on this. Personally, um, it's crazy. <laughs> but speak crazy uh, bmw has finally listened to us and gave us an even better bmw m2 um i think you and i have both agreed that the m2 is probably the best uh product that bmw makes have we agreed on that before no we've never will agreed we agree on that. on that i don't know if we agree on anything to be honest i think that there's so you're a just gonna continue us. you're just gonna continue this non-agreement non-agreement it's it's a good coupe okay well what if you what if i told you that they made it even gooder well um, i like it way more than the m4 it I has will say that. a 405 horsepower and 406 pound-feet of torque um engine it still has the manual transmission um it looks a little bit rowdier a little bit r- cooler and uh I th- well if we're how much more is that than the regular m2 Ooh, you're hitting me with the hard questions i don't know and well we may never know until <laughs> until the internet is invented yes. but um you know favorite bmws i mean the best bmw they make i i like the m5 a lot the m2 is good All i right. like the regular 5 series is a good car um i like that 760 li that was that was something else um i don't think that I don't know. It's it's. I haven't really thought about that in depth. All right. Uh, now I have to. I also really like the four series Grand Coupe. That's probably my favorite affordable BMW. And I'm I'm, I'm driving the newer version in uh in a few months. I, I I've had experience numerous times with the older one, but um, I like it because it, it handles like a three series, but it has a hatchback that doesn't look ugly and gives you so much practicality. And I think that's really it's the pick of the the litter for anything under a seven for BMW. I don't know. I think this M2 is the best thing ever. It's my favorite car to drive. Um, if I could get one, I would. Um, Why can't you get one? You work hard. Uh, I don't work hard enough, or at least my my work is goes un uh, unnoticed by any financial means. Um, That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. If you want to talk to me about your financial woes, you can probably tweet me at Sammy underscore Ha or Benjamin Hunting at Hunting Benjamin. You can also email me, Benjamin, at BenjaminHunting.com. That's that's a great way to, if you still use email, because I still use email. Sammy hates email, and he's always making me tweet him everything all the time. Uh, that's true. But I still use the emails, so you can you can hit me up, Benjamin, at BenjaminHunting.com. And if you want to see what we're up to, you can find us on Facebook. You can just search for the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, and we're right there. Um, hopefully nobody's taken that uh, – our like Facebook search algorithm and taking that away from us like we did with that other podcast that you mentioned at the womp start womp. of the, at the start of the podcast. Um, and we also have a whole website that you can see all of our past episodes. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Uh, it's a fun website. There's pictures and there's links to uh, our reviews and photos. For, uh, yeah. So you can find our, our written work and you can find uh, any any anything else. If you want to go more in-depth on the cars that we've driven, you can almost always find something there that will take you deep into the weeds. Um, and I think that's it for me this week. Ben, what are you driving next week? Well, I, I'm going to be driving the Lincoln Navigator L, the Ooh, giant Another giant truck, yes. Another, like I told you, I got, I'm working through some issues. And um, 
I'm looking forward to figuring out how that feels versus the Armada and versus the Escalade, which I've also driven recently. And I also have a very fun Mazda surprise that we're going to be talking about next week. I love Mazda surprises. I give you a hint. It's classic Mazda surprise. If you know what the surprise is, tweet us. I don't know. Or at least you just tweet guess, me. Don't tweet me. You want to no. guess what it is, too. Like, if you want to guess how many rotors it has, you can do oh, that. Oh, what? You're you giving want. it away now. Well, I don't know, Sammy. There's a lot going on in Mazda's history. So uh, you sound pretty sure. So maybe you should tweet me with your guess. I will. Um, Get the ball rolling. It's going to be a Eunice Cosmo for The sure. tweet ball. <laughs> is, Twitter, is it Twitter just a giant snowball of... Uh... No, it's a system of pipes. Oh, right. Come on. I will be driving something called a Mercedes A-Class. Which is a car that we haven't seen in North America before. It's like a B-Class, but it's the A-Class, right? It's basically a CLA, but without the first two letters. Oh, okay. Uh, well, it's going to be good looking, I promise. I'm very curious to hear your impressions. And I'm very curious to drive it. I'm going all the way to Croatia to do that. Humble brag from Sammy. <laughs> no, it's not a humble brag. I'll tell you about Croatia as well. <laughs> all right, that's... What more could you ask for from the next episode of the Unnamed Automotive Can Podcast? we add that Thank to you. our Google uh, AdWords account? If somebody, Croatia? Croatia? It's, our, it's in there. Oh, yeah. It's in there now. It's in there for the rest for the rest of our careers. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Bye.